0: You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems with your host, Northwestern University internist Dr. Lee Friedman. The diabetes epidemic, we've heard of it, we've seen evidence of it in our practices. What exactly is it and what can we do about it? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Mitchell Lazar, the Sylvan Eisman Professor of Medicine, Chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism, Director of the Institute for Diabetes, Obesity, and Metabolism at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Lazar. Great to be here, Lee. The diabetes epidemic, what type of numbers are we talking about?
1: We're talking about what seemed almost like a nightmare, 21 million adults and children which is 7% of the population, and in Philadelphia, where University of Pennsylvania is located, nearly 11% of the population.
0: I imagine these numbers are greatly increased over what we've seen in the past.
1: Tremendously so. And in fact, when you look at the predictions for the future, it's even more ominous. The one that scares me the most is the prediction from the Centers for Disease Control that one in three children born in the year 2000 in the United States of America will develop diabetes in his or her lifetime. Is
0: this mostly type 2 related to our growing problem with obesity?
1: That's exactly right. Actually, type 1 diabetes, which is the disease where the pancreas poops out, used to be called insulin-dependent diabetes, is also increasing in its prevalence. But the vast majority of cases of diabetes in the U.S. are so-called type 2 diabetes, which uh, you're exactly right is the one that we used to call adult onset diabetes except that more and more juveniles are actually developing it. And this is associated with obesity and related to this parallel epidemic of obesity.
0: I wonder if there are other factors. It may be my skewed impression, but I seem to have more less overweight patients that have the high sugars and make the criteria for diabetes.
1: Well, you're exactly right. And actually, there's a huge genetic component, not only in type 1 diabetes, but also in type 2 diabetes. And in fact, it's counterintuitive for most people because since type 1 diabetes is a disease that shows up in kids, you tend to think of that as being maybe genetic, and it is. But for type 2 diabetes, the genetics are so great that if you have identical twins, there's about a 90% chance that in the course of their lifetime, if one develops diabetes, the other one will too.
0: And that is despite one exercising and being of more reasonable weight.
1: The truth of the matter is that weight tends to also track with genes, and identical twins tend to have similar weights. But if one of them is able to keep weight off and eat reasonably, they're actually more likely to stave off the diabetes.
0: At this point, are there things that we can do? Are there initiatives underway to help prevent these predictions for the future from coming true?
1: Absolutely. And the most important one is lifestyle. There's absolutely no doubt that as our lifestyle has changed with delicious foods available at relatively low cost, fast foods, these being available to, to everyone, and also at the same time, a reduction in our activity because of driving cars and remote controls and so forth, the combination of the sedentary lifestyle and the eating more caloric foods is the major problem. And so one way to prevent this is to eat as sensibly as possible, lose weight if you're overweight or obese, and exercise as much as you can as long as you're healthy enough to exercise. But the problem with that is that it's often not enough, partly because people have a hard time with these lifestyle changes. They're tempted all the time. The rate of regain of weight is tremendously great and it's familiar to probably all of your listeners. You diet and you get the weight off and you feel great about yourself, and a year later kind of sneaks up on you that you're the weight you started at. And that's a very common problem. And because of that, we're also trying to find new medications that in the ideal world would have fewer no side effects, but treat the blood sugar or treat the weight.
0: And so in addition to efforts at education of the public and of healthcare providers, there are some efforts underway to find biochemical solutions to these problems?
1: Yeah, there's really two ways to think about it. One is obesity is, of course, a cosmetic problem. But if its main medical problem is to cause diabetes and then with diabetes, heart disease and other problems related to diabetes, then one solution potentially could be to figure out how obesity causes the diabetes in the first place, and then to target that. And then, of course, the even more optimistic and hopeful thing would be to think that we can figure out why people are getting obese in this environment and why some people get more obese than others, because we're all in pretty much the same environment, and yet it's very common for someone who's overweight to jealously look at their friend who's eating just as much and is not gaining as much weight. If we could figure out what's special about the friend, and target that with medication, that would also be a great help.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania on Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mitchell Lazar about uh, the epidemic of diabetes and what we can do to help counter that. Dr. Lazar, we think about diabetes as uh, being a combination of a problem with insulin resistance as well as beta cell failure are there newer initiatives aimed at those two processes
1: Absolutely so type 2 diabetes as you're saying is a combination of insulin not working well and then eventually in fact in most people where insulin doesn't work well that's something called insulin resistance the body overcomes that by making more insulin one of my colleagues here at University of Pennsylvania draws the analogy to the problem being like a phone connection that is not working correctly, and what the body tries to do is to shout louder into the phone connection. That's the equivalent of giving more insulin when insulin's not working. What you'd like to do is to fix the phone connection, or in this case, fix the insulin resistance. Eventually, though, the body does lose its ability to make insulin. Lots of reasons for that, including having high blood sugar for some period of time is actually toxic to the beta cells of the pancreas, which are the insulin-producing cells. And so, there's really two aspects of research to try to get at the cause of these things and come up with a cure or at least a treatment. One is to understand the insulin resistance, understand why the phone connection is not right and fix it. And the other is to try to figure out how to make those pancreatic beta cells not die in this situation and maybe even to regenerate and grow more of them.
0: And I think of the so-called TCDs as agents to perhaps address the resistance side. And there have been some studies about using them in a preventive way, have there not?
1: You're absolutely right. Actually, some interesting lessons from some of the drugs that we have. We know, for example, that a drug called metformin can prevent diabetes not quite as well as intensive lifestyle change with of life coaching for exercise and diet, but metformin, the drug, can do something similar. And so can this class of drugs called the TZDs. The TZDs are particularly exciting because they're the first class of drugs that absolutely, clearly affects that phone connection and makes it better. The problem with that class of drugs is that they cause weight gain, partly by increasing the amount of fat cells in the body and also by people retain fluid when they take these medications. Not everyone, and so some patients do beautifully with these drugs, but some have these problems, and that's the reason why we're trying to learn from what the TCDs do to come up with, if you will, the next generation that ideally would have fewer side effects, but still have the benefit that these drugs are evidence that we can actually do.
0: Are these drugs working on a genetic molecular biologic level in the cells or is it working by a less precise mechanism?
1: Well, the beauty of the TCDs is we have we, we really do know their target in the body. And very interestingly and maybe surprisingly, it was surprising to a lot of my colleagues in the diabetes research world, these drugs act primarily on fat cells. And fat cells Maybe it's intuitive that fat cells, since obesity causes diabetes, it might make sense to target a pathway that's in fat cells with a medication. But the reason why that was surprising is because the reason the blood sugar is high in the diabetic is mainly because that phone connection is not working well in their muscles and also in their liver. And so the realization that these drugs are targeting fat cells led actually to a new way to think about the whole problem, which is to say that the fat cells are actually making factors that circulate through the body that then break those phone connections. And so by acting on the fat cell, and that fixes the connection really in a manner that is indirect. And that is a whole new way to think about the problem.
0: And then on the, the beta cell failure side, I think of perhaps the incretin system working in that environment. Are there other agents that work on the beta cell side?
1: Well, incretins are very exciting because aside from insulin itself, The only way we had to increase insulin in the body previously was with the sulfonylurea drugs, and they had problems with hypoglycemia just as insulin does. But the beauty of the so-called incretin system is that this system is actually only working to regulate insulin secretion in the presence of high blood sugar. So you really have a safety measure and margin with regard to hypoglycemia. The original targeting of the incretin system was with Sendin 4 injectable form, which hit the receptor for GLP-1, a natural hormone, that a natural incretin, if you will. And newer agents include so-called DPP-4 inhibitors, inhibitors of a protease that actually normally deactivates the patient's own GLP-1, and DPP-4 inhibitors let it Stick around longer in the body and get a benefit
0: from that as well. Well, the diabetes epidemic is here, and as Dr. Lazar has stated, we need education and help with nutrition and exercise. Often, those interventions are not overly successful. And Dr. Lazar has reviewed for us some of the current medications that we have in our armamentarium to help prevent and treat diabetes. And the outlook seems to be very exciting, particularly with the team approach that Dr. Lazar has stressed. So thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To learn more about this or any other show, please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can also register and sign up for access to our on-demand features. Thank you for listening.